Changing careers to pursue a love of food is not new. The landscape is littered with wonderful examples. Today, we'll be talking to a career changer who is a TV personality and culinary teacher. We talk to Jessica Farmacola. It's on Tip of the Tongue. Welcome to Tip of the Tongue, a podcast on the Nitty Grits Network, where we explore the intersection of food and drink and museums. This is Liz Williams. Jessica Formicola is a recovering psychotherapist who has turned her passions into an integrated life. Passions such as her family, food, and travel. She's a writer, TV personality, and culinary teacher. Her business is Savory Experiments. Welcome, Jessica. Thank you for having me. So I want to talk to you about your previous life as a psychotherapist. You know, I consider myself a recovering lawyer. Uh, Went to law school, practiced for years, and then started the Southern Food and Beverage Museum and kind of went off in a totally different direction. How did you decide to do that? By accident. I always loved food. I'm based in Baltimore, Maryland, and my family isn't from here. Neither is my husband's, but we both come from Italian backgrounds. And we loved our traditions of having Sunday dinner. So we started inviting our friends over for Sunday dinner and they weren't always Italian, you know, meatballs and yada, yada, yada. But Mm -hmm. it was my chance to try out new recipes on people and not always the wisest decision to try something new when you have guests coming over. (laughs) They were always very open-minded. And I had a motto that if it was terrible, we'd just order a pizza and everything would be fine. But they started asking me for the recipes. The only problem is, is I am terrible at following recipes. Yeah. I measure with my eyes, I add other things in, I decide that it doesn't need that, but it does need this. So I started to to write them down, but instead of emailing them, I literally at work one day when a patient no-showed Googled how to start a blog. And at that point in time, I had no idea that food blogging was what it was. This is 2009. And it it then isn't what it is today either. If you had told me back then that I'd be on TV and quitting my job and doing a, and writing cookbooks, I would have told you you were you were crazy. But I just started writing the recipes there, and one day I realized that people other than just my people were viewing them, and that was really exciting and also motivating. And I started working with brands. My first brand was a jelly company, and I was beyond ecstatic that I was getting paid in free jelly to, to develop recipes, (laughs) which now again, looking back on is another funny milestone, but things just kept evolving. I started writing for better homes and gardens. I started writing for the daily meal and they started sending me out on travel gigs. I got to travel to Puerto Rico with Anthony Bourdain, like really cool stuff. Wow. Yeah. And, and it just kept going. So when I had my daughter, she's five and a half now. So about six years ago, 
I realized I had two full-time jobs and I wasn't going to be able to have three, be a mom and work at the hospital that I was at and, and do food. So I decided that the hospital had to go because food was way more fun. <laughs> so we are now. kids too. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And it's been a lot of fun figuring out what they like, getting them involved in the kitchen. I'm not a professionally trained chef. I have taught myself everything that I know, but I think that that's part of the fun. It's trial and error, but it also makes my content relatable mm -hmm. to your average home cook. I'm not, you know, asking people to, to make a 12 hour meal. I'm saying, okay, guys, you know, go to your grocery store. Let's gather some ingredients and let's figure out how to take something that's, that's pretty everyday and elevate it. So it's really easier recipes, but for people that enjoy good food and, and it's been fun and it's relatable. So if you're doing this just for your own family, I think that, you know, you can, kind of take a breather and do like an old standby and all of that. But when you turn it into a business, you're constantly having to up the ante and be new and all of that. How do you do that? I'm not sure I had a lot of old standbys even before, to be honest with you. I love the kitchen and I get all the cooking magazines and watch all the shows. And I had more of a backlog of new ideas than I ever had old standbys, but we still do old standbys. You know, some of those tried and true recipes that are nostalgic on both mine and my husband's side still find their way into the mix. Some of them with new concepts, which is always fun. I'm really big into trying to find more ways to make dishes colorful and add in more, you know, veg I, my kids call it vegging out. We add more veggies and, and figure out how to modernize some of these old classic comfort meals. So that's one way that we, we keep things fresh, but there's so many fun things to work with out there. I don't think you can ever get bored. I always have way more ideas than I do time to execute them. <laughs> so are you finding that any of your psychotherapy training is useful in this? Yes, I think it is. I try to help my readers reframe cooking. So many people think of it as a chore and something I have to do instead of something that I'm looking forward to doing. They think of it as, again, a household chore instead of maybe an art or a craft. Mm -hmm. Helping people reframe it of I have to cook instead of I want to cook but also making it a family affair instead of somebody just stuck in the kitchen, you know, one person, everybody else is out having fun playing games, but mom's stuck in the kitchen making dinner, involving everybody, making it quality family time, but also taking that time to help our, our children and ourselves learn about flavors, learn about the process of cooking and what goes into it and that it should be respected, but also that it's fun. And with my kids who are three and five, they're still little, I find that they're more apt to eat things if they've been involved in the process of making them. So last night we made meatloaf and I let them make the meatloaf. And you know what? They ate it. And it was, you know, a healthy meatloaf with like turkey and, and all these other things in it. But, you know, there are some kids that just eat hot dogs, chicken nuggets, and pizza. And I don't want that to be the case. So, so if I get them involved in the kitchen, 
they're proud of the food that they've created and they're happy to eat it. I also think that that you're teaching them a life skill that they might not necessarily have, because I think that a lot of people these days don't cook. A lot of people go out for almost every meal or they pick up at every meal, even if they're eating it at home. And I think that there is almost a generation of people that really is not being trained. And I don't mean trained in some sort of professional way, but just by experience and they're not actually learning how to cook or learning that cooking is a skill that could be a useful one. Mm -hmm. And even just the basics. I just got done doing a post on how to make a hard boiled egg. It's amazing how many of these very simple things get overlooked because a lot of recipe creators are making these masterful large things. And yet these home cooks that haven't learned that from their family members or whomever are stuck there going, but wait, I want to make egg salad. Somebody tell me how to hard boil the egg. The ingredient is hard boiled eggs. How do I get there? Right. So starting at square one and not judging anybody for, you know, not understanding that. And some folks in the kitchen just aren't as comfortable and confident. So we try to give that to them too. So the other day, for instance, I had somebody make a comment. I have a recipe for cheesy bacon tots, which, you know, they're tater tots with cheese and bacon and sour cream and chives. So it's not, we're not recreating the wheel here, but somebody left a comment that was kind of mean and nasty that says, who needs a recipe for this? You're ridiculous for posting it. And I had five other people saying, you know what I did. I needed a recipe for this. I didn't know how much or how many, or it just sparked my creativity. Thank you. I needed that. And this is how I customized it. So it's really starting at square one, not judging anybody and realizing that everybody has a different cooking level. I also think that in the kitchen with your children, you're almost teaching them sort of family stories you're learning what they did for the day, which often, you know, if you're sitting around the table, which of course I do believe people should speak when they're at the table, but sometimes when it's just phrased as a question, what did you do today? And everyone looks at you and you have to talk. You don't know what to say when you're five years old, but if you're just talking while you're doing something else, you're just talking. And that kind of sort of way of civilizing our children, giving them the stories of our lives and hearing their stories makes them makes them really love the process of cooking even beyond just the product that they're making. Mm-hmm. And respecting it. Gosh, every every global cuisine, every culture, food is at the center of it. It's at the center of it. It's you know, the connection there to history. I mean, even just, even now looking at the economy, like I was looking at my, my, my data earlier and things like stakes are down. And I'm like, this is a product of the economy. Everything connects, everything mm-hmm. connects. Eggs are down because of product of the economy. Um, so it's just interesting to see how everything plays a part. It's all a domino effect. And it goes far further than just eating something tasty. So how often do you feel that you need to come up with new ideas 
and write them in your blog versus now that you're doing a lot of other kinds of product development, you're doing those things. How, how do you balance all of that? Because you've got a lot of irons in the fire and they all sound really exciting, but you're writing, you're teaching, you're doing all of these things. How do you balance all that? Well, it's a very tricky schedule, but somehow I make it work. I try to do what I call at least one passion project a week. So maybe it's not focused on a brand or a specific something. This week, it was inspired by a Cook's Illustrated magazine that I have here on the corner of my desk where I said, oh, that sounds good. We're going to try that. So so sometimes it's, it's inspired by something like that, and mm-hmm. it has no place in my blog or, or any place else, maybe my Instagram stories, just to tell people, Hey, I am still over here cooking in my sweatpants and enjoying a glass of wine and, you know, listening to some eighties music because cooking is still fun for me too, in that way. And then other stuff is out of necessity. Sometimes like today I'm making a recipe video for a viewer that said, Hey, I'm having a little bit of trouble with this technique. Can you be a little bit more specific? And it's a pie crust. What better way to show pie crust other than to show pie crust. So just texture and everything else and see, see how it hits my fingers, not just a picture, see it. So those types of things. And, and it, it fills out pretty fast. So, and I'm not currently writing any books. So that has freed up a lot of my time. (laughs) Yes. Yes. I could imagine. I've written one cookbook and I said, I'll never do this again. (laughs) I have a whole lot of trouble measuring, uh, holding myself to measure. (laughs) That was the most challenging part of writing my cookbook as well. And I've done a couple of eBooks too, but it was the, the actual measuring of things instead of eyeballing it. I'm, I'm really bad, but, um, it's a, it's the necessary evil of my work now. So how do you feel that you encourage people to, um, use what they have? You know, everyone is really worried about food waste these days. And I can remember when my mother would once a week open the refrigerator door and soup would be made. Um, But you don't always want it to be soup. There might be some other thing that you can make with it. How do you encourage people to say, oh, I have all the ingredients except this. Um, And how do I adapt to the recipe so that I'm using everything? Because you can't go shop for with a recipe all the time. You have to be able to go once a week or so to the grocery store. And then sometimes you wind up having eaten more of this or that than you thought. There's, there's not green peppers or whatever. (laughs) Sometimes those clean out the fridge nights are the most fun, right? They, they make you use your noggin a little bit, but we, we do two different things. So on the actual website, every single recipe in the post of the the body of the post, which so many folks scroll past really fast Uh is a list of ingredients and a list of possible customizations for that recipe. I try to encourage people to eyeball it and to not follow it. Exactly. I don't want you to, I feel like that's part of the the process of learning how to cook and and becoming more confident and comfortable in the kitchen. So every single recipe has things that you could do to make it your own, but also workarounds if you're missing something. So say you're missing the green peppers. Can we just leave them out? 
are they imperative to this one? Is there something else I can add in? Is there another vegetable that could work here? How do I make that happen? But we also have a really interesting recipe or ingredient index. So most people list recipes by the the course mm -hmm. that it is or the, the global cuisine. We list them by ingredients. So say you bought parsnips and you only needed one and now you have three other parsnips. You can actually look up parsnips on our site and be able to then trace back to any recipe that uses parsnips and see if you can then make it using that one ingredient. So it's kind of an interesting backing into it, mm -hmm. but reading the post, I think is the most and best way to be able to do those clean out the fridge nights on your own moving forward. And I love to hear those stories beyond just, I made soup. Like maybe you, maybe you graduated to a stir fry. Maybe you graduated to a, a sheep pan meal or a warm salad or something else along those lines. Yeah. I, I, I think that that's a, the skill um, that I think we should aspire to, to be able to do that with confidence. And that will help us really with the reduction of waste which I think is an important, important thing for everybody to learn, not only because it saves you money, but it just saves trips to the grocery store and saves all kinds of time. <laughs> we don't waste anything in our house. Like, you know, Thursdays or Fridays are usually stir fry night. And that means everything from the vegetable crisper is getting thrown into a pan. <laughs> <laughs> right. So I'm also interested in knowing how you balance your family, your travel, your writing. How do you make all that make sense? I work traditional hours. So my kids are in daycare, pre preschool daycare uh, from nine to five. So I'm in my office from nine to five. I do have a separate workspace in my house. And when they come home, I actually put my phone in a drawer and shut it. And I shut the door to my closet, to my office, my closet. It's almost like a, like a closet some days, but I just shut the door. But so often they're a part of it. They're a part of my work, whether it's creating a new recipe or cooking in the kitchen, or sometimes the questions they ask me are the things that are sparked for me to write about, you know, the, the innocence of a child of mom, what is that? Why is it a white carrot parsnip? It's it. Things that you don't even think of, but they also travel with us. We don't leave them at home. They come with us. They try the foods, they go places and seeing things from a, a child's eye is very different than seeing it from an adult's eye. It's very interesting, but I also it, think it's important in this day and age, just learning about diversity and even different cultures within the U.S. We're just getting back to international travel now with them after COVID. And we've gone to a couple of different places and we've seen a couple of different things. And there's just so much diversity just here and in different cultures, like in New Orleans. I was in New Orleans last February and we went to the Mardi Gras Museum and learning about that was just fascinating to me. And now I want to take them back. Previously, did I think New Orleans was like totally kid-friendly? Maybe not. <laughs> but no, there's so many things to do. So they really take a large role in my business. I do try to to turn it off and not engage in social media all the time when, when I'm with them. And weekends are really family time, although snippets of that do show up on my Instagram stories. People like seeing them. And my daughter Vivian is a ham. 
She loves. (laughs) She'll be the first one to come in and be like, "Mom, are we going to make a video this weekend?" She loves it. She puts on her own makeup and uh, and and wants to be the star of the show. Oh, that's great! (laughs) You should write a children's book for uh for all the kids uh that you my agent she has said the same thing (laughs) (laughs) well and then you could have the kids actually with you and you could take photographs of them like putting things together and so that uh, people can see that it's really possible and not just something that people tell you you can do but it it really happens it does. It does. And we do share that on, on our social media channels, especially on weekends with them getting their hands dirty, washing dishes. Um, my, I was allowing my, my daughter to chop some things the other day and I got some really nasty comments back, but I was like, she's not a sharp knife. It's like, oh. let it, but it's amazing. It's amazing what people will do and say and think. And in my head, I'm like, this is great. She's learning a skill. You know, she's in, she's, she's not in front of a TV. She's not playing a game. She's spending quality time in the kitchen, learning a skill. And then she has the, the ability to then eat it after it's made, which is just really terrific. Yeah. I mean, if you've seen a five-year-old sit down and eat, eat a salad, that's pretty amazing. That is a feat. I deserve a medal. Yeah, that's right. So I'm also interested in what you might want to be doing in the future. Like, do you think really far ahead and say, oh, I'd like to do this or that? And what what are some of those things? Some things come up organically that I've never even thought of. And I'm like, oh, yeah, that's a great idea. But I have discovered in the last four years that I really enjoy TV. I really love video work. So we're trying to find some more avenues for me to to be on screen and not necessarily cooking. I actually just got done filming a show local here to Baltimore that I'm not allowed to talk about quite yet, but it's it's a Hearst Media production where I'm judging a food competition, which was so exciting. So that's eight episodes that'll be coming out in July. But things along those lines, just just being on camera is is a comfortable place for me that I really enjoy. We do a lot of video in my kitchen. We actually renovated the kitchen to be a set. So we have a production team that comes in and we do cooking show style videos, but finding some other ways, new, fresh ways, other than just standing and stirring to incorporate in history and, and knowledge and that confidence that we talk about that is so under underrated these days. And so when you do your own photographs, because I think you do your own photographs, don't you? Or most Most of them. Yeah, we have two photographers on staff that are lovely and I work very, very closely with them. And I still love taking my own pictures. It's just finding the time and juggling that. So we have several people on staff that help out. So do you do that in your kitchen or do you have that in your office? I, I, is your office like a real kitchen studio or is it more like a, a more traditional office? It's a traditional office. Um, it is, I'm in it right now. I have a setup in the corner though. I use, I used to use natural light for everything, but it became more and more challenging. Just, you know, if your day to shoot a cake happened to be a rainy day, then <laughs> it was very challenging. Or if it so, was nine o'clock at night because that's when you had to do it. Yeah. I used to joke that my husband, my only times to shoot are between 11 and two. And if you're shooting something that takes longer than that, then you're just, you've got to wait until tomorrow. So I've 
transitioned over to artificial light, which has been definitely a challenge on my photography skills, but has opened me up to being able to shoot any time of the day, even if it's something that's last minute. I try not to work after the kids go to bed, but if I have to, I can still shoot it then. Um, my office is full of many, many, many shelves of props, <laughs> an oversized kitchen table, and a lot of lights. But it's it's yeah. here and and then it's fairly close to my kitchen. So we, we have carts on wheels and everything kind of goes in and goes out and goes in and goes out. So. Yeah. It sounds, I mean, all of it sounds kind of nice to have it be home and have your kids be able to be comfortable around it all. And it makes for a kind of integrated life where you don't just leave every day and go do what you do and then come back your kids really do get to participate in your, in your life and you're in theirs. Yeah, they do. And it's been so much fun. I can't imagine going back now to a job as a mom where I'd be physically gone for, for that many hours a day and not accessible. I mean, right now, funny enough, their daycare is literally at a church in our backyard that I can see from my office window. So I always feel very connected to them. It's, it's been lovely. It's, probably more of a challenge to develop boundaries and make sure you're sticking to them. And it's not more work that work doesn't start to seep in a little bit too much to that, that personal life. Right. Right. Well, so tell us how you develop savory experiments. What, how did you decide, okay, this is going to have a name. This is going to not just be call me up and say, Hey, Jessica, what about this? How did you uh, decide to do that? The original uh, site name was actually Be More Kitchen because I lived in Baltimore and everybody said Be More as is, is, is slang. But I, my father, who works in marketing and actually works for Nikon, the camera company, and he's a photographer as well. He taught me my photography skills. Said, "Listen, you got to be, got to think bigger. You got to think wider." And at that time, I was like, "What are you talking about? It's fine. It's never going to do anything." Well, he was right, as parents tend to be. So. <laughs> came up with a couple of different names. And at that point, it was all about experimentation. And I did mostly savory foods. So savory experiments made a lot of sense. And I just started writing and experimenting and, and talking about those techniques. And it's developed through the years. My audience is generally moms, generally women between kind of 35 and 50 that are looking for good food, but on a budget. And with limited access to things, which has also been a challenge, you find folks that live on the on the coasts generally have access to a lot more than kind of middle America. So we're about ingredients is is that what ingredients? You're yeah, yeah. So like these these m movements towards veganism and vegetarianism and, and higher cost ingredients aren't necessarily what my audience has access to. So we're trying to create elevated meals, but with very basic ingredients. And that's where we've developed this for us philosophy of thinking about salt seasoning swaps and sauces. And how can we use these four things to customize and really elevate everything from craft mac and cheese to a tater tot casserole to be something that's considered gourmet that you'd want to serve to dinner guests. And, and it's been a lot of fun and been a challenge. We've definitely now started experimenting more with desserts as well with savory stuff, but I find myself to be a very lazy baker 
<laughs> so faking needs to be a little bit easy on the easier end. So it's been a natural evolution and a lot of things have come my way without me even seeking them like better homes and gardens calling and saying, Hey, you want to write for us? Like, sure. You know, why not? Let's see what happens. Let it roll or daily meal saying, Hey, you want to travel for us? Okay, let's go. <laughs> and yeah, it's, been it's really, it's really it, it was, it is really wonderful that, that that's possible. And also on your website, you talk about your own standards about what you will do and that you have to feel right about the product and all of that in order to represent someone or to work with them. So t tell me a little bit about that. Everything needs to be a good fit. If it's not a good fit, then I don't say yes to it. Everything here is very genuine and down to earth. If I would need it, it doesn't go on the blog. And I, when brands approach me, if it isn't in something that I've heard of before or use, most of the time it's an automatic no. Just because then it's not naturally integrated into my life. Now, if it's something new and just coming to the market, I'm willing to test it, but I always test it before I agree to anything in a contract. One of the brands that I've worked with for the longest is Certified Angus Beef Brand, They're, which naturally rolled into a cookbook all about beef. But talking about beef and the economy and how beef kind of gets a bad rap recently, but their brand, I always held close to my heart because they only use local farmers. So the beef that you're getting where you are is coming from a local farmer near you. It's mm. in their 98% family owned and run cattle ranchers. And they really have a lot of pride in what they do and how they do it. And I liked that. I could stand behind that. There are other brands that have contacted me where I said, yeah, you're not really, this isn't a good fit basically. Mm -hmm. And I just don't feel comfortable taking this job. And quite honestly, I don't think you want me to, because this isn't a good fit. Your audience isn't my audience and that's okay. There is somebody that's a great fit for you. You know, there's a lid for every pot, right? Right, right. Well, Jessica, I really want to thank you for taking the time to talk to me today. I think this is a really wonderful kind of snapshot into how to kind of invent your own life and what you're doing. And it's all about food anyway. And that's what the tip of the tongue is about. So it's perfect. Thanks so much. Thank you for having me. The Southern Food and Beverage Museum has partnered with the Heritage Fire Tour, a live fire cooking competition that takes place in cities across the U.S., Brent Rosen, SOFAB president, will be interviewing the winner of the contest on a special edition of Tip of the Tongue called Around the Fire with Heritage Heroes. This Thursday, the first episode will be released featuring Levi Raines of the Dutch in Nashville and Robert Butts of Twisted Soul Cookhouse in Atlanta. Listen to this special edition and have a behind-the-scenes look at major cooking competitions and backgrounds of the chef competitors. Thanks for listening to Tip of the Tongue, part of the Nitty Grits Network of the Southern Food and Beverage Museum in New Orleans. Learn more and subscribe to this and other podcasts at southernfood.org or wherever you listen to podcasts. 
Find us on Facebook on Nitty Grits Podcasts. I'm Liz Williams. Thanks for listening.